cool. <clears throat> I was also reading up a lot more about Raymond Domenech today. Like, I was I knew about him, but I didn't. I was like reviewing all the all the shit that happened when he was France manager and just having a good giggle to myself. So that's going to be fun later. Uh, okay. Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News Preview Show. I'm Lewis McParlin and in this episode we'll be reviewing the Seoul game from last night as well as looking forward to two of the matches set to be played this weekend in Ligue 1. As last night's game was bottom of the table Lorient against 18th place Dijon, I thought we'd get our teeth stuck into the relegation battle of this season today as we have some critical matches in terms of the drop coming up in what could prove to be a very pivotal Sunday coming up. Thomas Wiseman and Eric Devin are alongside me to chat through the action and first we're going to have a quick look at the aforementioned game which took place on Wednesday. Like I said, it was bottom of the table Lorient against Dijon sitting just above them. As you can imagine, a very pivotal match in terms of the the relegation battle and the drop. And sometimes when you get these six pointers, they can be a bit drab, a bit tetchy. No one really wants to give anything away, but I I don't know. I mean, Lorient and Dijon, I know Lorient have had some COVID cases recently. Remember the medicine they gave them was a bit too strong because I don't think either team really knew they were in a relegation battle in this game. It finished 3-2, Lorient getting the winner in the 96th minute, the sixth minute of stoppage time. The goals coming from Trevor Chalaba and Terem Moffey, as well as... uh, a winner in in the late period of the game. Some people have given it to Andrew Gravion. Other people have given it as an own goal against Anthony Riachiopi. You know, if you're critical, you'll give it as an own goal. Because if you've not seen it, oh my god, please go watch it. It's awful if you're a cynic. If you love it, if if you if you're a masochist, you will love this goal. Um, other goals from Dijon coming from Bruno Aquile Manga, the, the old centre half, as well as one of my favourite players in the league, Mama Baldi. Always like seeing him score. Um, Eric, I know, I know you've seen the kind of highlights of this game. Let's let's jump straight to the winner. Ninety sixth minute stoppage time, a tetchy relegation battle. The ball gets launched into the box from a free kick. Anthony Ricciopi actually makes the initial save from the header from Andrew Gravion. But then he just carries it over the line. Are, are you? Would you call yourself a masochist? Do do you like that type of stuff? Do you like seeing people suffer in those occasions when then they carry it across their own line? Well, I, I mean, considering we just profiled Ratchopi on the on the regular show on Monday, that doesn't doesn't exactly make for comfortable viewing in, in that regard. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's disappointing. You know, I think Dijon under David Linares have been. You know, much much improved. Um, they tightened things up at the back. They were able to score two. You know, you would think that would be enough, but um, given their defensive improvement, uh, but I think that it, you know, Lorient were just you know, yeah, that was the luck of the draw. I think that it was an unfortunate uh, happenstance, but I, I don't think that that means uh, Dijon have any uh, more or less of a hill to climb. Uh, it would have been, you know. Let's see if they had won this. I mean, they would have, or if it had been a draw, uh, Dijon would have been on 16 and Lorient would be on 13. Um, but uh, it doesn't actually change uh, uh, Dijon's placement in the table. Uh, so it just means they've got, you know, more work to do uh, 
well, <laughs> with a trip to Lille on Sunday. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, Dijon conceding three goals in this one, never a good thing to do. You know, when you go away to someone and score twice, you would imagine that you'd come home with at least a point in this one. But Thomas Wiseman, Dijon, they've not been terrific defensively all season. They've conceded 30 goals this season. They recently dropped Jonathan Panzo, uh, the Chelsea youngster who was was playing at centre-half alongside Bruno Aquilemanga in place for Senu Koulibaly came in. But they just keep on conceding goals. It's not really been something that David Linares has 100% been able to put a stop in, has it? No, sorry about that. Um, no, it's... Uh, I think, well, <laughs> I always compare what Dijon were at the start of the season to what they are now. And that's a an insignificant improvement I think we can all agree on. Because um, I think in the first third of the season they were basically... Um, which most of us have written them off, to be honest, because of how poor they were performing. So you can sort of, and I think, like like the like we've said previously, that um, Ratchapi coming in has saved them, has saved them conceding more than they um, than they did do. Sorry, wait a minute, I've got a dog scratching. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is what you call working from home. I believe that's what they call it. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Turns out my body kind of loves the Dijon talk. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. Um, I think a lot that is to credit to the the keeper they have in net at the moment, but um, it's still something they definitely have to work on if they, if they want to, you know, survive this season. Um, yeah. Eric, you you have a couple of points on this conversation. You were yeah, saying? I just wanted to add that. Um, Dijon and Linares have the second best defense in the league in that span, uh, if we don't take yesterday's match into account. So I think that he's definitely moving the club in the right direction defensively. I think the, the decision to bring in Koulibaly is in particular, and, and, and Ratiopi have, has paid dividends. Uh, but again, you know, if you're, if you're looking at a team that doesn't have a ton of experience in Liga, uh, you know, Koulibaly has not really been a regular starter uh, since the time he's arrived there. He was, um, Often behind Nefa Gerd last season, so you know that's that's something to consider. And obviously, Ratchopi had been second or third choice throughout his time at Lyon, so I think this is a bit of a, a growing pain, perhaps, for the team. And I think that they'll continue to fight and be a, an obdurate opponent for anybody uh, they're going to face in the, in the next um, whatever 17, 16, 18 match days that are left. That's the thing, David Linares, then he must be reviewing this game tonight or yesterday, going through with the team and probably angry at himself that the team could finally get the goals flown, get two goals scored. But just as they did that, the defence, the, like you said, has been probably quite solid since Linares has come in. That's when it starts to wane. And then they can see three, you know, it's like, it, it, it's the two and fro. It's, it's what do you balance out? Do you go more on the defensive side or do you go more on the, or the offensive side? And when they tried to go a bit more forward in this one, they created some quite solid chances for Balde, for, for Aquila Manga as well. As soon as you do that, then they start conceding again, isn't it? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not easy to find a balance with a team of, of limited means. That's, that's the other issue too. Um, you know, there's also players that, you know, Mignassi and Benzia, it's hard to think he wouldn't help the team if he were fit. So, um, yeah, it's it's a tough situation for, for Dijon, for sure. Just two wins, though, I believe, since uh, David Linares has come in. That You know, just generally, 
they have had a lot of draws this season. They've got the least wins, actually, of any team in League And, you know, you've got to ask, yeah, the defence might be improving. When are those wins going to come? You would think the match against 19th place Lorient would be their six-pointer that they're going out to win. Of course, Lorient aren't trying to lose it either, but you've got to look at the fixture list now and then see where are Dijon going to start picking up those points if, if Linares has had an effect. You know, their, their next few games are Lille, then Lyon, then Montpellier, then Nîmes. That's going to be a big one at uh, the middle of February on Valentine's Day. But, you know, the next few matches are quite tough, so they probably could have done with this win over Laurie on the one that never came, of course. Yeah, I mean, but the, I think, again, to be fair, I, I, I'm really high on Linares. I, you know, again, this is a team that was going to struggle no matter what. But you mentioned only two wins under him. Zero wins before before he was appointed. <laughs> uh, they were looking like a, being historically bad. I, you know, I mean, I'm talking mm-hmm. R11 Yon bad for, for those who have that uh, enough of a memory. That was the 11-12 season. They finished with something like 14 or 15 points. Uh, or how about... Derby County bad for for our English listeners. Um, yeah, I, I think it was looking like a historically bad season, but certainly uh, in terms of or, their team's organizational principles, they they look a lot better. And you know, hopefully with a little bit more fitness and luck, um, they can continue to just bring some surprise results. Let's look now at the opponents in this game. Lorient they ended up winning winning it with, like I said, that late winner. It's actually their first win since the middle of December in uh, League and You know, last season they finished top of League Two ahead of Lons, who are playing so well this season. But Thomas Wiseman, we have seen quite a gulf between the two promoted sides. But why do you think Lorient haven't been able to carry on that form that they finished League Two? with, you know, that they finished uh, such fine form last season in League 2? Yeah, I think with the the squad they have at the moment, um, there is quite a few um, talented talented players. But if you look at how they've played overall compared to, let's take like Neem and Dijon as examples, um, they've been the much better of them three sides and they've competed... Um, much more often with with other league and clubs. Uh, just looking at the you know basic um, statistics shows you that they've, um, in terms of expected goals against, they're they're relatively mid table in league, um, despite conceding <laughs> despite conceding uh, forty goals, um, and uh, expected goals for them they're again relatively mid table, but low mid table maybe. In com- in comparison to you know the likes of Dijon and Nîmes who are very very down the bottom um, for them statistics and I think on on occasions in matches they've they've just not had um, a strong enough perhaps the poor Nardi has not been um, as good as what I would have thought it would have been because he he was obviously ex I think Monaco player and and had a few seasons out to to come up with to come up with Lorient, but it seems that he's not been performing very well this season for them, which has been a detriment and, and is one of the reasons uh, why they're in such a difficult situation at the moment. Because we know that um, Pellissier is a good manager. I know he's, he succeeded at Amiens, you could say, with limited means. Um, so com- in comparison to the coaches that you know Neem and Dijon have, he's, he's the, the much more experienced one. And the one I would put my bets on to, to get Laurent out of this, out of this mire. 
And the thing is, when you're a promoted team, when you're a team with kind of everything going against you, trying to get settled in the top league again, the one thing that is maybe a bit of a cliche, but the one thing that many teams lack is a goal scorer. You know, we've seen that in in France, we've seen that in a lot of divisions. Um, People coming up, and yeah, they had guys that could score 20, 15 goals in in the second division, but as soon as they come up to the top division, they struggle a bit more. This season... They had been struggling a little bit, but then Terem Moffi, this Nigerian striker that they signed in the summer coming from Kibi Kortrijk uh, in Belgium, RIP that pronunciation, he's been coming in and he might have had a bit of a slow start, only one goal in his first couple of games, but now four in his last four. You know, they haven't been maybe terrific results for the club, you know, winning, I believe, only one of those with losses to Monaco, Bordeaux and a draw against Nice. Yes, like I said, it might not be the most positive results, but Terry Moffy, 21 years old, they spent a lot of money off him, on him, second biggest uh, purchase ever in the club, but he's starting to come good, isn't it? So could, could he be the kind of catalyst that maybe takes the team forward, a, a young striker who's starting to get a bit of an eye for a goal, Thomas? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, he's, I don't think he's played that much, obviously, you know, recently come in, but um, he's really stepped up and, and I think he's scored quite a few goals in the bounce now, isn't it? Yeah, four All his goals four, have come. Yeah. yeah, yeah, there we go. Um, so it's it's really a big bonus for, for Laurent to have somebody that they can rely on to, to score them goals and, and if they can keep it tight at the back then they've got they've got um, a really good chance of, uh, of staying in the, in the division. And they did spend a lot of, remember, they did spend a lot of money on them and I remember um we had a uh, Loic Ferre, the the um, Laurent um, president on the president podcast a while back, and he was. You remember he was talking about the Media Pro deal before it all went um, sour, and obviously we look at what Laurent did in the transfer window. And they spent a lot of money um, on acquisitions like Gerbich, and the, I think their salary, for, the salary that Gerbich is getting, is very. I think it might be a hundred. 30, 140 euros a month for a promoted side. 40 euros a month? I think it was something like that. Yeah, I'll have to double check, but that's that's, that's a huge amount of money for a promoted side to be paying a, um, a, a player, and obviously he's had issues with injuries and, and whatnot, so Moffy uh, coming in and bagging some goals is, uh, I think, welcome. I'll tell you what, if I was a striker coming into Ligue 1 and I was only getting paid 140 euros a month, I'd be pretty gutted with 140,000 euros. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Completely forgot about that. I would be gutted if that was me, the big move up to the top league. <laughs> Look, we're giving you this platform, brother, but we can only give you 140 euros a month. Are you happy with it? You'd have to say yeah, wouldn't you? You'd have to say yeah. <laughs> um, so, Eric, just before we jump on to some of the other teams that have, that have kind of found themselves involved in the relegation battle this season. Lorian and Dijon. Lorian got the win here. Dijon, like you said, have been, you've been quite impressed with them since the new manager's come in. Do you think, you know, someone's got to get relegated? How much potential do you see in these teams? Are, yeah, they might have got a win today, and yeah, Dijon may have been impressive in some other games, but do you think they've got the ability to really get the momentum going, get the fever going, and push them out, push themselves up the table? Or, come May, could they be sitting 19th, 20th, 18th, 17th, still in this type of conversation drop, Eric? Well, you know, I would say if I had to pick three teams to be dropped right now, it would probably be Nîmes, Nantes, and Saint-Étienne. 
And I, I think what that boils down to is what we were just alluding to is, is capability uh, going forward. And I think that we've seen next to nothing uh, from all those teams in attack. I know that's the same with Dijon, uh, but at least they have looked impressive defensively. I mean, Saint-Étienne, again, have obviously had their struggles, uh, but, you know, they've been poor at the back, they've been, and they've been poor in attack. Uh, not, I mean, the less said the better. I their last, are we looking at 14 matches without a win? 15? 12. Sorry. Sorry, Raymond Dominic. But, <laughs> but no, I think in all seriousness that, you know, we can point to Lorient's attack. We can point to Dijon's defense as an area of strength around which a, a cohesive identity can be forged. Now, it, it may not be, you know, enough, but if we talk about the idea of, you know, a team having a sense of playing, I mean, right, if we, we look at like, oh, Bordeaux are defensively strong, uh, so are Lille, you know, Brest are going to play hell for leather and try to, score, uh, try to outscore you. You know, those are identities around which Strasbourg kind of the same way. They're, they're more of a front foot team as well. Reims under, under David Guillaume last season, very defensively sound. So if we look at te- teams that don't have an identity that are down the bottom of the table and that are struggling, that's Saint-Étienne, that's not, that's Nîmes. Um, you know, I know Nîmes have had their issues with injuries and maybe things could be a little bit better for them defensively, but, uh, you know, besides that, that shock win that Nîmes had the other week, you know, I don't see that, uh, you know, that they're capable of, of pulling anything off either. Um, that winning, I mean, again, a win against Marseille in the form that they're in, you know, that's maybe nothing to crow about either. Um, so yeah, that I, I would say that's that's where I'm at. I, th- I think that Dijon and Lorient for me have have a way that they want to play, but I don't see I don't see that at Nîmes. I don't see that at Saint-Étienne. I definitely don't see that at Nantes, uh, despite uh, the change in manager. Eric, I'm going to use that uh, mention of Nîmes as a fantastic segue into our first preview of the podcast. Thomas Wiseman, Nîmes, uh, on Sunday are going to be coming up against Angers. Of course, your team is going to be 10th place Angers against bottom of the table Nîmes in this one. And what do you think of what Eric was saying there? Do you kind of echo that? What would you say about mm-hmm. Nîmes in terms of an identity? I would say they used to have an identity when they came up under yeah. Bernard Blackard. They had a fantastic team. Yeah. Denny Boanga, Saratube, uh, Taja Savanier, to, to name a few scored a lot of goals, excited teams, try to outscore you sometimes. But this season, Bernard Blackheart's gone, Jerome Arpinom's come on, come in. Do you see much of an identity, much of a plan, much of a way of playing as you as we did maybe two seasons ago with Le Crocos? Yeah, I, I've got to agree with what Eric said there. I think we all we all sort of remember when Neem were promoted, they had that sort of gun-ho attitude and they were fantastic at set pieces with with um, Savanier, but slowly and and they've they've lost. I think obviously they've lost Savanier, but they've lost you know quite a few players to the team that will be playing Angers. But um, and it's sort of it, it, it slowly has um, deprived them of that that style they used to play. And and at the moment you don't really they don't really have anything any any defined way of playing. Um, and they and they do tend to struggle against um, against quite a few teams. Mm. 
Uh, yeah, those transfers I think have been quite critical for mm. in the last few seasons. I mean, I, I was looking back at the nineteen twenty transfer window uh, today, just trying to see, you know, what what really happened. Who, if I'm forgetting anyone, who went in, who came in, who went out, and the main ones obviously Boanga, Tube, and Savani, top level players. I know Boanga may be playing at San Etienne right now. Say what you will about them, but I, but Boanga is a fantastic player. It was in, integral to it. Sante, whatever they achieved last season, Savani is one of the best centre mids in the league, and Saratube's quite a good winger as well. They went out, Musa Kone came in, Harris Duljevic came in, and Fomba came in. You wouldn't say direct replacements, there were a couple other players, but they were kind of the most high-profile players coming in for those three, but you can't look at many of them and say that Kone, Dulevich or Tom, but you can't really look at them, Thomas, and say, yeah, they've also hit the ground running. They've been fantastic in-and-out replacements for Boanga, Tube and Savanier. You know, it, it, mm. they, they took these players of fantastic quality, and yeah, it's always tough to kind of recreate that, but that's been quite key for Nîmes' downfall, hasn't it? They've just not really... Yeah. The guys they brought in to replace them, it's just not been of the same quality, has it? No, it, it hasn't worked sometimes. They brought in... It, it's... It's it's a shift with with what they've done, and I, I do think they have some good players. I mean, if you look at that midfield, you have uh, Fomba, who's I think is in his second second seasons now. Um, he's he's improving. I'm really impressed by um, Kubas who they brought in, um, mm-hmm. the Paraguayan. He's and a really you know energetic midfielder, and and Luca Doe. I mean, he still he might be I think he's 33, 32, 33. But that midfield is a workhorse midfield, um, and it's. I think it's more an issue with, with the back line than than um, than with that midfield. Obviously, we forget about Ferrat is there trying his best to to um, create and, and score if he can. And Reno Repar is just happy to fit course, in, in Reaper, any yeah. any hole that's in the team. <laughs> I tell you, this man was at centre mid against Marseille. I've seen him play up front. I've seen him play left wing. I've seen him play I right, play him right back. back. Yeah, right back. Yeah, yeah. That, that was the that was the main one. I've seen him play right back. Eric, is he just the type of player that you kind of need to get yourself through a tough season? Reno Repar, you know, he's been there. I believe he came through at Nîmes. Yes, he did. Uh, yes. He's been there for years. Yeah. You know, he's he's just Mister Nîmes, isn't he? He's he's happy to to fill any gap that really is necessary. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think Repar is like one of again along with Cubas, I'd say, uh, you know, one of the few bright spots for Nîmes season in and season out. And mm. you know, I, I kind of wonder. He'll have he'll have a dilemma, right? As a as a cadre product, as a as someone who came through at the club, as to what to do uh, if slash when the club do go down. So it's it'll be interesting to see how uh, Neem manage this summer. Um, you know, if they do drop, um, what will be their their set of options this summer? So they are currently bottom of the table, like you said. It's a case of, of maybe not if, but when if, the, if they go down to League 2 if they get really good this season or the next season or whatnot, but they've made an astute signing in Nicholas Eliasson he was at Bristol City last season, had 12 championship assists which is a, a very nice return and he got a nice little brace against Marseille last week didn't he, could he kind of be a bit of a catalyst for that team, you know someone who could bring a bit of a spark the player, 25 years old, good age Swedish winger you know, I don't know I I think this team should be should be using more of uh, Yassine Benrahu and Zinedine Ferhat. For me, those are the two most creative players in the side, and they should be structuring the team in such a way that allows them to play 
maybe a 4-2-3-1 with Ben Rahu playing as a 10 and Ferha keeping his place on the right. Uh, but I've seen a lot of tactical jiggling, as it were, uh, a lot of tactical consistency from them. And I think that, you know, if you've got, you know, if you are going to, mm-hmm. if you're admitting that your defense is weak and is missing players um, through injury, uh, you're going to have to, you know, play, you're going to have to, you know, put your chips in with your attack. And I don't feel that the team has necessarily been, you know, using those attacking players, Eliasson along with, with those two. Um, but Ben Rahu, who looked bright um, since arriving, uh, initially arriving uh, from uh, from Bordeaux last last season, um, has barely been used this season. I, I think that, um, you know, Ferhat uh, playing him closer to goal, perhaps as a 10, um, could really pay dividends. Um, you know, maybe playing a 4-3-2-1 three, three, uh, with Rue as a lone striker, or Kone, I, I think that there's a lot to be improved upon tactically for Neem uh, in order to get the best out of their players. So you've been given the job, Eric Devin. Congratulations. What does your Neem team look like? Do you, do you think you could keep them up with with the players that they've got? I mean, like you said, Zinedine Berhat, <laughs> Andre Kubas, we mentioned before. I mean, there is a good bit of talent there. I don't think it's the worst league in team we've seen in recent years. How how would you keep them up? Who who are you putting where then? I mean, yeah, I think I, I think you know. Try that four three two one. Play play Kone as a lone striker, um, and then you're gonna have Ben Rahu and Fairhat behind him, uh, and then your midfield is gonna be Cubas uh, and Doe, and and Famba. I know that's a bit of a somewhat negative midfield, but I think you're gonna offer freedom to that front three and a little bit more protection for that back four as they deal with the injuries that they do have. So where's Renault Reaper? Is he goalkeeper, centre half, uh, left he can back? Be right back? He can be right back. <laughs> I know. Neem for me at this time is kind of one of those football manager uh, projects that you would get an article about at the start of the season. You know what teams you should manage this season. I think if I was getting a job at I don't know ninety ninety men ninety men type of website that would do that. Uh, that would be my first article I'd do on Neem. Why you should manage Neem this season? Um, they'll be facing off against Onji. In this one, Onji currently sitting tenth, of course, Thomas, and and you know there's many teams that come up into league down, into league down from from league two, and then they're here for a season, here for about two seasons, and they get then they get relegated again. Whereas Onji came up, and it's kind of been a fair bit of success, They've kind of gone straight to straight. How how would you say Onji have have achieved that then? And what what could other teams do to kind of copy that? Is is it just having the right manager and sticking by him, even when it gets a bit tough, not just pulling a nont and, and kicking everyone else, that kicking someone out of the job or or, or or any other issues that other clubs have done. What have Wanji kind of done to kind of cement themselves as a bit of a league and regular in recent times? Um, I think it's a lot, <laughs> a lot of answers for this question, but I think the main one is that they excel at his continuity within the, the staff and, and the players as well. Um, I mean, only, only recently we've had the we've had a, a sporting director that's been um, dismissed from the club. But when Angers were promoted, they had had um, a coach who was at the club for since two thousand and five, and and had spent a few seasons in league deal with them, and and they um, had had uh, a, a philosophy that that they didn't want to spend any money, so they <laughs> they didn't spend. Uh, anything coming up and 
Uh, got loads of players on free. Um, some of those players are still there at the club. Um, and everybody, it's more of a collective effort from Andre than you know any individual player. There's usually one or two that that can sort of <laughs> save the save the team on occasions. I think Fulgini is that player this season. Uh, Santamaria has been was it for for quite a few years, but it's all about continuity at Angers, and they always overperform every season. Um, just the, by the fact that they stay in the league, even though you know they've got one of the smallest budgets. So that's that's really how they do it. So if you had to sum up in three words, it would be wheeling and dealing. Yes, <laughs> I would say yeah, probably something like that. <laughs> but also, you know, having such a coach like like Stefan Moulin, who is he's continued to reinvent himself um, throughout the years in league and that's kept them up. He hasn't stuck to a, um, a particular system, and and when he we do get new players. He's he's be able to adapt them, even though I know that he doesn't want, want some of the players. Um, but he's been able to adapt the the team to fit that, and um, it's proved again this season um, that it's worked. However, three defeats in a row now, three losses on the bounce. Are there any very faint alarm bells ringing in the in the back of your no. head? Maybe in the next room, maybe in the maybe out in the garden <laughs> a little bit, or, or is, it, is it just a tough run with PSG and Monaco and I guess Bordeaux are in a good run of form, Bordeaux away in that time? Yeah, I mean Monaco game was a write-off. PSG, they should Andre should have at least got a point out of that. They played really well actually. And then the Bordeaux game was <laughs> they switched off for the first 15 minutes and they were 2-0 down and then the second half, they battered Bordeaux and just couldn't... I mean, Stefan Bohoken had three <laughs> goals he should have scored. Um, so, the, yeah, it was a unlucky, that game. But no no real uh, concerns for me as, a, as an Angers fan. Um, we should be okay. You were just coming up against the best South Korean forward in European football, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, Hwang had a, had a nice uh, opening 15, 20 minutes, yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, let's get a score prediction for this one then. Angie 10th, currently sitting, uh, and they're going to be going up against Nîmes, bottom of the table. They got a good win against Marseille last week, but desperate for points, desperate for points to get them out of this relegation battle. Thomas Wiseman, I'll, I'll start to you. How do you see this one going? Do you think it'll continue this tough little run for Angie? Will Nîmes be able to carry that form into this one from the Marseille match? I'm actually going to be positive about Angers and say this is going to be a, a fairly comfortable win um, for them. And the airway fixture, Angers won 5-1. It's pretty um, conclusive. But yeah, I don't. I think this should be a comfortable win for, for Angers. Just don't watch... If you watch the game, which I'm not, I think I'll be the only one watching it, but um, if you do watch the game and the, the lawn at the Stad Raymond Copper, it looks bad. Don't worry, they <laughs> sort it out. Apparently there was some leaky pipe underneath the, the lawn because it's all... Just the left side's horrible, so just ignore that. Uh, two nil, Jay. <laughs> the left side's horrible. Were you, were you out yeah. with your spanner last night? <laughs> getting, getting it all sorted for the game. <laughs> yeah, I'm just flown back. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Eric Devin, how about you? How, how, how do you see this one? Actually, may I say a point? Because Thomas, you said there, what well, fairly, fairly comfortable one. I think you said fairly easy one. I'm just going to quote that because I was listening back to last week's podcast. No, I don't. And about the Leon <laughs> match. You said, I don't think it will be a whitewash. The Leon San Etienne game. Can I get a quote on that? I don't think it will be a whitewash. <laughs> um, to clip this up, 
Lewis. We need to get, play, we need play to get the actual clips. Play the actual <laughs> clips. And, and you know what? I'll go away and find it. And I'll, for Eric, oh just for you, I'll go and put it in. I'll go and put it in. Oh right I can't, I, I can't remember what I said. I think you might have said 3 0 or something. I think you said they were gonna, you were going to absolutely slap them. But yeah, yeah. Thomas, I, just, I was listening uh, back to it and I was like, don't think it'll be a whitewash. And I think that's what I heard. So I thought, right, okay. <laughs> I'm definitely bringing that up. Hi there, post-production Lewis McParlin here. Just as a little bit of reminder for those who may not have heard it, this is what Thomas Wiseman had to say ahead of last week's San Etienne at Leon game. A game that Leon went on to win 5-0. I think it'll be, it won't be a, I don't think it'll be a whitewash. Um, it'll be it'll be closer than maybe some people expect. Anyway, back to the podcast. <laughs> uh, Eric, oh, on Jane Neem, how about you? What do you think? Uh, two one. Two. Let's go. Yes, yes. Sorry, yeah. Two two one home win. Yeah, quite rare to hear Thomas actually be positive about his team for once. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know, it's, it's, it's a weird one. Teams can often kind of react differently. When they get a nice little result, they can react quite differently because I was looking at uh, Andre's form and, you know, just before these three defeats, what happened? You beat Lille um, and Neem just beat Marseille. So I, I, I don't know. Sometimes it's awkward when, when teams do get a good result. Can they carry it into the next game? Uh, can they keep that form going? About Neem right now, I think they're on a bit of a... I don't know. I, I, I support a team that's kind of always in a relegation battle. So sometimes when you do get that kind of that, you get the taste for blood. You get the win. You can put on a nice wee run. So I'm going to actually go. Sorry, Thomas. I think it's going to be a really scrappy one. But I'm going to go like a one-one draw. I think I think Neem could start to get themselves a nice little run. Like like we were saying earlier, they don't have the worst squad in the world. Um, so I'm going to go one-one draw okay. for that one. I'm just going to clip that until lovely. He only scores a hat trick. <laughs> We shouldn't even record these things, should we? We should, we should just like do it for our own <laughs> personal use and then throw away the recording. <laughs> um, okay, our, our final preview of the episode. It's going to be Nantes versus Monaco. Of course, Monaco aren't exactly in a relegation battle, at least at the moment. Anything could happen in the Principality, but we're going to be focusing on Nantes for this game. At the moment, they currently sit 17th in Ligue They recently got a brand spanking new manager a couple of weeks ago, Raymond Domenech, ex-France coach. And Eric, when we when the kind of Domenech appointment was announced, what, Nantes fans were playing, uh, what was it, it, circus music? It was kind no, of, it, it was kind of brought in with a bit of a hilarity, a bit, people were kind of laughing at it. He's been in for a few games now. It was a training session, wasn't it? Yeah, the, 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 there was a lot of people basically taking the mickey out of it. It yeah. was almost <laughs> on the same level of Rudy Garcia and the clown masks when uh, he when he came to Leon about a year ago or whatever it was. Does he deserve a bit more respect? He's an ex-French manager, of course. Finished runners-up in the 2006 World Cup, even though that was, you know, a life ago. But does he deserve a bit more respect as a manager or do you understand where the Nantes fans are coming from for this one? Is that a... Um expression of ire towards Dominic. It's it's what he represents in terms of how much of a basket case of this club have been uh, with Vladimir Keita in charge. And and that's the problem. He's co- constantly changing managers, not only changing managers, but changing the types of managers. I mean, how do you go from Sergio Conceição to, uh, to to Christian Gorkouf to Claudio Ranieri? I mean, not, not consecutively, but to... Um, and now to Dominic, they're they're entirely different types of managers, both 
tactically and philosophically. Um, and, you know, because there is this lack of continuity, you have a, a lack of continued focus in terms of the way the squad is constructed. And uh, it's, yeah, the proof's in the pudding. It's, it's, a, it's a really uh, frustrating and limiting uh, affair. Yeah, no, like, it, there have been some hilarious moments with the managerial appointments. W- wasn't Halle Hodzic <laughs> sacked, like, five days before the start of last season? Am I, am I right in saying that? Before Gurkhev came in, it was literally, like, a week before the first first game of the season. I'm pretty sure Halle Hodzic got sacked uh, last season. And, of course, Gurkhev comes yeah. in, Dominic yeah. comes in. Um, and uh, today's job... Other than going through uh, Neem's transfer windows of the last few years, was going through Dominic's career and and mm-hmm. kind of what happened back through his. I think it was a six-year stint as France coach. That was when you had the full kind of. Uh, I don't even know what you call it a Rami is what we'd call it up north a Rami uh, in the French camp at, at the 2010 World Cup. They finished bottom of the group without a single win. Dominic didn't even shake the hand of the excuse me, the hand of the South African manager Carlos Alberto Pereira at the end of at the end of a pretty awful group stage. Um, in that run of him being manager, you had the 2006 World Cup that they lost to Italy. Zidane was headbutting kids left, right and centre. Uh, Thierry Henry thought they were playing handball when they went to Ireland. You know, it was quite an interesting run when he was, when he was France manager. Um, Thomas, is that a good or a bad thing? You know, a bit, a bit of a bit of a crazy bit of a crazy couple of years sometimes clubs can have you know look at Leicester Ranieri comes in and boom what do they do they win the league so maybe sometimes it's a bit off the wall sometimes someone who uh, in the past said that he looked at the star signs looked at the constellations for for transfers was it or, or, or team selection is that maybe someone who can just I don't know sometimes take you on a bit of an adventure take you on a bit of a trip um, <laughs> I think none kind of need some kind of adventure um, but I think it was something like almost a th- two thirds of the non squad weren't born the last time Dominic was coach of a football club. <laughs> so, I mean, that is a pretty cool start. And it, <laughs> I think they, I th- I'm not sure, they've not won yet and they've had three draws and a loss. Three I draws think? in a row. Yeah, it's something like that. It might be three draws and a loss. Three draws yeah. and a loss. That is, yeah, that has been non for quite a while now. Remember, what's his name? Cardoso. Do you remember him? He had a few Yale. games, and then yeah, yeah, that was not long ago. Um, he had a few games, and then they thought, oh, maybe not. We'll change somebody else. Um, so this is, I think, the first season. In a while, where not a really in trouble. Um, sorry, there's a dog outside. <laughs> Eric, Eric, you were saying earlier, you know, that all the kind of anger around the Dominic appointment wasn't really anything to do with Dominic himself. It was more with Kita, you know, Waldemar Kita, the owner, and non fans have had a lot of anger against him for quite a while now with the managerial appointments, Gurkuf, Ali Hodzic, now Dominic, all kind of managers that in a colloquial term, you would say we're kind of past it. But you were saying you were saying it wasn't really Dominic that was the issue here. So give him a couple of games, give him a bit of time, gets young Kevin Augustan firing, gets Randall Moani firing. Could it turn out to be a, a good appointment? Or do you see this being the season that not just goes down? I think I think you said it earlier, that they were one of the three teams that you would 
probably see getting relegated at the end of the season. Yeah, I just I don't think a four four two, which is what Dominic wants to play, fits this team. Um, that's that to me is the biggest problem. I, you know, I, I I like Kola Mwani, but I like him running off the shoulder as a as a central striker. But if you've got if you've got uh, you know this team playing a four four two, you know with Blah and Coco trying to play as wingers, hey, I guess Coco works as a winger, but like, Blah isn't a winger, you know. And where's Imran Luza? I mean, he's you know, a more than solid player. Uh, he looks like he's, sh- you know, Moses Simon's been dropped. Um, yeah, I just, I, I don't understand how he's trying to construct this team. Um, and it, you know, it just, just doesn't make sense to me how he wants to play this team. It's, this team should be playing a 4-3-3. Um, and, you know, in, in doing that, and whether you want to play Koulibaly as a more traditional target man or Kolo Kolmowani as someone who's a little bit faster... That's fine, but you know if you've got Coco and um, Moses as your wingers, and and then you have you can have Blah and Luza playing cent- play in midfield with Tori or Abade uh, playing a defensive role. That's that seems to me like a well organized team. Um, but yeah, this flat four four two, like no thank you. It doesn't it doesn't work. Um, I, th- I think that. Dominic is too wedded to his own tactical philosophy to want to take a holistic look at the team and what might be the most optimal way to set them up. Yeah, Imran Luza not being involved, I think, is a real shame because he's a guy that only really got involved in the first team last season, I believe. Uh, he's been there since he was very young and now he's been linked away with a move to Marseille, was it? I, I saw a headline today about a team that was involved in I can't remember specifically. I think it might have been Marseille. Um, yeah, I think it was because so, was it Marseille? Marseille, so yeah, because they sold Sanson, so there's quite a few players that link with them. Right, okay, out. I think Luz yeah. Was one them, yeah. So Imran Luza might be on the way out now. You know, it it just doesn't look like a, a fantastically positive setup at the moment. It, Eric, what's what's the situation with Jean Kevin Augustin? Is he injured? Has he been he's dropped? injured? Yeah, yeah, he's injured. injured. Injured, right? Okay, okay, okay. Because he was a guy. I'm not even start... sure he'd make the 18, though. To be honest, uh, to be honest, Lewis, I I, I don't. You know, is he is he definitively better than Renaud Emond? I mean, are they how many strikers do they need? You know, if you can also look at yeah. Abdul Kader Bamba as being able to play play as part of a two as well, and, and same with Simon. I'm not sure he makes the 18, even if he is fit. Yeah, Eric, I'll have you find that Jean Kevin Augustin came off the bench three times <laughs> for Leeds in the Championship and didn't score a single goal against Bristol City. Who the hell is that? What team is that? Brentford and Nottingham Forest. He's got some quality, Mr. Augustin, I'll have you find. Some. <laughs> some. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough one. They're coming up against Monaco uh, here, who are currently sitting fourth. Thomas, they're kind of running away with things. Kovacs have got them playing some solid football uh, you know they're, they're four points off the top three should could they be the next kind of team entering that top three given Leon Lille and PSG a run for their money if they keep this form up I think that was something that was discussed on the, the early podcast this week but um, I think I agree with what the guys said the sort of consensus was they are probably the the next best team at the moment after them after the top three do they have the ability to push into that um, group of teams, I'm not too sure at the moment. Um, but it's certainly for a first season for Kovac, um, it's, I mean, it's a great start for them. 
thing is four four wins in a row or, or five wins in six. They had a little bit of a slip up against San Etienne, but the next few games are extremely winnable. Uh, Nantes this weekend, then OGC Nice, then Nîmes away, Lorient at home. You know, those are four games that they could easily come up with 12 points. And hey, Lille or, or, or PSG have a little bit of slip up. I don't know. It, it could be. It could be one where Monaco just kind of find themselves in the top two without even really doing much, Thomas. You know. Yeah, it would be that kind of league on season. To be fair, <laughs> it's been that season so far. <laughs> um, okay, let's get a bit of a score prediction for this one. Eric Devin, Raymond Dominic. Is he going to have a little bit of a masterclass against Le Monégasque in this one? No. Uh, even Monaco have uh, Justin Martins out for. What's what's expected to be the rest of the season, but uh, I don't think they'll miss a beat. I think uh, you know maybe Golovin gets a, his first start for quite a while. Uh, he's looked brilliant coming off the bench in the last couple of matches. Uh, so I'm going to say uh, Monaco three, not one. Okay, lovely stuff, Thomas. What about you? Uh, three nil Monaco. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't see. Actually, no, no. I'm going to say it'll be two and. 2-0. 2-0. I was going to go 2-0 yeah, as well. I, I don't really see Nantes scoring in this one. Um, that is a surprise. I, yeah, I don't know. I, just, I don't think that'll be that. the most gorgeous match. I think 2-0 is a good kind of middle-of-the-road uh, result for this one. I think I'm going to, I'm going to back that one up as well, Thomas. 2-0. Um, yeah. A bit of a consensus here on the on the podcast against Nantes. <laughs> um, ah, Domenech, man. My mum my loves... Like like Roman star signs and, wow. and a no, oh, she loves okay. like astrology. <laughs> Roman, well, she was talking about him as well. Actually, that was the thing she was saying that over dinner. Um, I was like, "Mom, what did you hear about Dominic?" She was like, "What are you talking about? It's the ex manager of of oh, what was that team we used to manage?" Um, uh, 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 no, wait, there was like an amateur team I was looking up earlier. Mulville, Mul Mul Mulville, is that a team? Mulhouse, Mulhouse. So, you know, yeah, Mul- that yeah, was, was Mandra Ma- Ma- Mulhouse back in the 80s. Uh, she, was like, she was like, oh, ex-Mulhouse manager, bro. I was like, geez, oh, man, you know a lot more than I, than I put you down for. Um, yeah, she, she's a big fan of like, all that constellations and astrology stuff. Uh, so she'd probably be quite a big fan of him. I don't know. Maybe, maybe if he gets the, the stars aligning for him, hey, hey, uh, they'll start shooting on the table. But I don't see that happening. Okay, and on that, we're going to wrap up the podcast. Uh, if you're looking for more information on all things French football, in English, you can get us on the website at getfootballnewsfrance.com. You can also find us on Twitter at GFFN. Uh, if I had to recommend an article to read this week, Adam White had one all about Thomas Tuchel and what Chelsea fans could expect of him going to Stamford Bridge. Of course, he was the ex-PSG manager, took him to the Champions League final. You know, what can you expect of the German coach? It was a very good read uh, that you can get your teeth stuck into once again. That's at the website, getfootballnewsfrance.com. Thomas Wiseman, Eric Devin, I've had a lot of fun talking with you two today. I've been Lewis McParland. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast once again, and I hope you do have a lovely week. See you next time.